Who knows that God's got a plan and a purpose for you? Come on, I want you to say that out loud. God has a plan and a purpose for my life. He could have chosen anyone, but he chose you. <laughs> he chose all of us. He chose us. God said that when he made the animals, he made everything that was so amazing and pretty, and he's making all these things, and he says, it's not finished yet. I'm not finished yet. And he made us, and we were his prized possession. We were made in his image. Only then, only then could he say it is finished once he made us. And he breathed his own spirit. The Bible says that we became living beings. That means that we were just like the rest of the earth. The difference between us and this earth. You did not come from an animal. Do not listen to that lie. The Discovery Channel just doesn't know, right? That's all they know. What they know is a lie. You did not come from an ape. God formed and fashioned you from the soil. And then the difference between you and the ape and the difference between you and the tree. Okay, you and a tree, you're not descendants. You're not a descendant of a tree. He breathed his own spirit into you. That's what separates you from all of creation. There is nothing in all of creation that is like you. It's interesting that the monkey sits down and they eat a banana with their fingers like a human being. It's kind of creepy sometimes. Dawn and I have noted that at the zoo. How much like a human it seems like. The way it's sitting there and looking at you and human-like, but it does not have the Spirit of God. In it, it's an animal, and it was amazing. God made it with a purpose, for a purpose. But we are different. We are not like this earth because his spirit is in us. And what happened is, we know the story, but let's just review. Sin entered the world, right? Adam and Eve, they sinned. And because of sin, the separation from God's spirit in us, we continued to live on the earth, but we lived like the animal kingdom, and it doesn't take much to go out. You know, no wonder Darwin said, well, it must be, we must have evolved from animals because we act like them. You know, that's chapter one, page one, right? Darwin's book, he doesn't say that, but that's what he must have assumed, right? And today, if I didn't have the Lord, I might wonder the same thing because it certainly seems like, like we're like animals. When we want what we want, we take it, Right? We need, we go get it. We do whatever it takes, kill whoever we need to kill, steal whatever we need to steal, etc. They say, you know, if a crisis happens, that society will shut down within three days because what happens is people don't know how to control themselves and they become well, just like an animal does. It becomes survival. There's no spirit of God in you without, without Christ, right? Jesus Christ gives us the Holy Spirit. We have that breath of God, that spirit of God. It's not oxygen, right? Because the animals had oxygen. It wasn't oxygen. He didn't breathe that type, that life. He breathed the Holy Spirit into us. And the only way we receive the Holy Spirit back again is through Christ, through the forgiveness of sins and through Christ. So without Christ, we are animals, and we are going to act purely on instinct and on impulses. But God has redeemed us. God has made us. And God has given us a purpose. I want you to say that out loud today. God has given us a purpose. 
Now, how does God get his purpose out of us? No one likes the process. You know, the world tries to say, what's your dream? Even the church is starting to, you know, has, has adapted that theology in the last 20 years, 30 years. What are your dreams? What's your vision? Tell me your vision. I don't want to tell you my vision. I don't want, I don't want to tell you my dreams because they might be off. For all I know, they're still tainted with my past or with, you know, my ancestors. I don't know what's, what I'm thinking and what I'm feeling and what I want, what my desires are and my dreams are and my plans are. Don't ask me to make that decision. I need the Lord to direct my steps. And so the world has that. The church is kind of dangerously playing in that realm of dreams. God has a purpose for each of us. But when I read my Bible, and I've lived now under him for some time, a little bit of time, just long enough to realize that God does not do things like the world does, and it's not step by step like the world says, right? It's not do this, do that, get all your ducks in a row. God takes your ducks, throws them into a pot, <laughs> boils them, makes them hard, then he smashes them, then he burns them, takes your ducks and throws them out the window. God doesn't care about your ducks. God doesn't care if they're in a row. And it's not going to make your life better. It, can only, it only seems to you that it's better. God has a plan and a purpose, and his way of getting that out of you is different for everyone in one sense, but the same for everyone in the other. It's different in the sense that we all have different details that get us to where we are. But God is doing the same thing in each of us, which is what we read last week. And let's go there, and let's just read this quickly and springboard from here. God is, when we get saved, God is instantly in the process of refining us and shaping us and molding us. There are people that have gotten saved. They went through all the years to become a lawyer, all the years to become a doctor. We're talking all those years and years and years, and then God calls them to become a missionary. Now, it wasn't wasted because their doctor skills may be absolutely needed in that missionary field, but the salary that they put all that time in for will probably not be there. Do you get what I'm trying to say? So it's not that God doesn't use the process that even you think you did God's using it all. God works it all together. Everybody say, God works it all. He works it all together. He works everything together, right? He's working it all together. But we must not be stiff with the Lord. We must be like soft clay. His plan and his process, when I read my word, is not what I'd expect as the story turns and changes and things and what he's doing. But when I read the end of the story, I see that he has a person that has been refined if they let him, and they came out the other side as gold, like the Bible says. And so let's look at that verse. That's in the book of James, where we're taking our text from. The book of James, chapter 1, verse 2, says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Everybody say great joy. For when, for you know that when, your faith is tested. Say, my faith is being tested. 
It says, when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow, so let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be, everybody say this word out loud, perfect. Everybody say perfect. It says it will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. God is in the process of perfecting you. doesn't matter how old and how young you are. All that matters is that we stay on the path and the plan that he has for us. doesn't matter how many obstacles it took to get you to where you think you're finally on the path. For all we know, you've been on it all along. Or for all we know, you're not even quite fully there yet. But you are pressing towards the Lord. That's why Paul's like, you know, I haven't attained it yet. Who knows that verse, right? I haven't achieved it yet. I haven't reached the finish line yet, but I'm setting my eyes on the mark. I'm heaven bound. I'm, my eyes are on Christ, and I'm letting the Holy Spirit do his work in me. Amen. So whether we're quite fully on hit the path and plan, or we're still a little bit off, or we're finding our way there, we're setting our eyes towards Christ and let him direct our steps. Amen. Because what happens is, he says, if you, if you will let him do it, what he's actually doing is perfecting us and completing us. And the Bible says we'll need nothing. Who would like to be in a place where you need nothing? Who would love to need nothing? We hate need. Humans hate need. <laughs> need is relative, right? The reason need is interesting because how do you even define it, right? What do we really need? I mean, technically, you don't even need three meals a day to survive, so need is relative, right? Some people get three and a half meals a day, three meals and two snacks a day. We don't need that. So we need the Lord to define what our completion is and our perfection is and to be developed and needing nothing. Amen. And then we read just quickly, and Peter says something very similar. It tells us to be truly glad. First Peter chapter 1, verse 6, be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. It says in verse 7, because these trials will show that your faith is genuine. Everybody say, the trial is what shows my faith is genuine. How do you know your faith is genuine without the trials, what we could say? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7. Seven could be said like this. The only way that you actually know you have faith is by going through a trial. That's what the verse is saying. It says it is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious. Everybody say my faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, he says it again, it will bring you, that's us, much praise. We get praise. This is what's reserved for Jesus, but we get to receive it as well because we've let him purify us to become like Christ. The only way you are perfect is if you are like him. You are not the perfect you. You don't need the book, How to Become the Perfect You. That's a lie from hell. I don't want to be the perfect me. I'm going to write a book. It's called The Perfect Jesus. And the, 
It's just going to be one chapter. It's just going to say, die and let Jesus live. That's it. You want to be the perfect you, let Jesus be his life through you. And so by doing that, it makes complete sense that if I've gone through the trial and I've died to the Lord and just let the Lord direct and he leads and he tells me who I'm going to be and where I'm going to be and when I'm going to be it, then no, then it makes sense that I would receive the praise and the glory and the honor, which, res, which is reserved for Christ on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Because I'm not receiving it. I'm receiving it in Christ. I am one with Christ. Come on, let's just, let's just quote the scriptures, right? John chapter 15, I in him and he in me, right? We have become one. He says in John chapter 17, I pray that you become one, not just one here, not just a oneness here, but that you are one, but you are also, you are one with me. So when I'm standing there at the judgment seat, at the end of time, Christ is with me because I've stayed with him. He stayed with me. We're one. Amen. We know that's truth, but this truth is so important. So if I'm one in him and I'm seated in him, then what is going on here on the earth? And what is going on is, is that even though you are perfect in the spirit, your natural man is being perfected to catch up with the perfection that you are. <laughs> Let me explain. I've used this example before. I put aside, here's, a, here's an, the entire college fund right here, right? I'm a good parent. Put aside the college fund for my child. It's there. You don't have to do anything to earn it. You don't have to work hard for it. You don't have to be diligent. You're going to be diligent if you want to get it, like you want to actually use it. But you don't have to be diligent for it to exist. All right? It's there. But, my, but by me now being diligent and activating what is already there for me, right, I can receive of it and enjoy it. But, and this is why we can say that it's not of works, it's of grace. And this is how we can say it's free, and yet it costs you everything. Only in God's, right, God's kingdom doesn't make sense to your human mind. Don't try to make it make sense. As soon as we say, well, it's free, then that means I don't have to do anything or I don't have to give anything. No, it's free from God's perspective, not human's pers perspective. Just like love needs to be defined by God and not by the earth, right? Love by the earth is just a feeling and whatever you think and and the ooey-gooey's and goosebumps, and none of those things are bad, but the Bible defines love as laying your life down, all right? So that's why we need to let God define definitions and not the world, right? So just because it's free and because it's grace does not mean that it doesn't require everything. How can something be free but require everything? You're thinking about it from your human perspective. From God's perspective, it makes complete sense. It's right there, and I have it. Whether I want it or not, that's my choice. But if I will walk in it, I'll believe it, and by believing it, I'm going to walk it out. I'm going to receive it. Amen. So what is God doing here on the earth? God is preparing me for my future. <laughs> in my future, 
God has a place and a plan for me, and he has a place and a plan for you to get to. It's for his purpose and for his glory. So if it's for his purpose and his glory, your future, your ultimate, your ultimate end is that you are completely dead. I mean, the little bit of flesh that we carry around, right? We try to carry as little flesh as possible on this earth, right? We want the flesh to die and let Christ live through us, like I just said. But ultimately, your end is that, I mean, the last bit of flesh is gone. I mean, it's dead. That stays in the grave forever. Thank God. And the only thing that's left is your spirit united with Christ in perfection. So I'm heading towards that place. So what am I doing here and now? And that is that I am heading towards that. The Lord is preparing me for that. It's already in him outside of time. But I'm, my flesh lives in time. So it's being perfected, just like that child. You have to do well in sixth grade. You got to do well in seventh. It doesn't change what I have here for you. Do you understand that this is 100% yours, but you must be diligent here because that's how you get there. Does that make sense? So God saves us instantly. Salvation is instant, and we are settled and set in him. And then people get all confused. Everything in between salvation and entering heaven's gates is utter confusion in the church, right? You have two extremes. One is that it becomes all these rules and regulations and things I can and do, can't do. Suddenly, everybody's wearing denim or, you know, whatever. You get into all these kind of strange things to try to achieve something. That's one extreme. The other extreme is I don't have to do anything. I love Jesus. I met him once in a church. Right? Those are the extremes. Somewhere in between. God is holy, so there's a separation. You're not like the world. He is doing something. You're going to look different. You're going to sound different. It's not going to be religious, though. It may look religious to the world, but it won't be religious. And then in there is also this freedom that the other extreme has where they just like, I don't have to do anything. Jesus did it all. And that's not a lie, except that you're using your mind, you're twisting a truth. Remember, Satan twists the truth. That's what he is. He's the serpent, right? The serpent twists. He takes truth and he twists it because you'll hear New Age people, you hear other religions, you hear weird Christians saying truths. And I'm like, the words that you're saying aren't a lie, but your motive and your perception and the way that you're twisting that scripture for your intentions is off. Somewhere in between all that mess of salvation to finally entering heaven in the flesh, right? Literally, we're going to get a new body. I mean, like, in the flesh in the sense that not this body, but it's not going to be like in my mind or in a dreamy state. I mean, like, it'll be like this, as hard as that is to imagine. Right, I close my eyes and I imagine God and I know he's here with me, but it will be face to face. Amen. And everything from this point to that point is for a reason. There is a purpose. Everybody say there's a purpose. I've said it before and I'm not the only one that said it. If salvation was about going to heaven, then the moment you got saved, you would die. 
It doesn't mean that it's, you know, this is the funny thing about truths. It doesn't mean that's a lie. Who in here believes that salvation is about going to heaven? I think that's a pretty fundamental truth to our Christianity. But that's not all that it is. Jesus saved the disciples, and I, I, I promise that in the natural, they would have wished that they could have gone with Jesus when he died on that cross. I promise that they were like, take us with you, Lord. We don't want to stay here. I don't want to be here in, in this occupied state, Rome occupying Israel. They were hated by them. Hated by everyone, really. Hated by the Romans and hated by the Jews now, because now they were these weird Jews that believed in this Messiah. If anybody was going to wish to just go to heaven, I believe, Jesus, If I don't know how to convince you more that I believe. Take me home right now. And yet, they stayed on the earth because they had a purpose, because God's kingdom was growing and being established. You need to realize that there are many blessings along the way. God does so many things for us. God blesses us like you just, you can't even imagine. You don't even know. It's not money and it's not things. God's blessing is not even things you understand. It's going to be only unfolded in heaven how he has blessed his people on the earth when they get saved. And yet, this earth, this time on this earth is not about me or my blessing. How can it be about, let's just make a statement. I love preaching from the Bible. Who likes preaching from the Bible? Well, let's just preach from the Bible. Colossians chapter 3. How can it be about me if I died? How can my salvation on this earth, this completion on this earth, be about me achieving some sort of earthly promised land blessing if I said, yes, Lord, I'm on the cross with you, and I died. Colossians 3, chapter 3, says this. It says, why are you thinking about earthly things when you died? That's the Bible. Why are you thinking about earthly things when you died? Now, does God condemn us for doing earthly things and taking care of our family? That's not the point. That's not what he's trying to get at. So where is your heart? Where is your focus? What is your life about? What is your purpose? There are things I have to do in my day, like brushing my teeth, that have to be done. Otherwise, I'm going to be up here mumbling. You're not going to be able to understand me because I'm going to have no teeth. But it's not the purpose of God. Does that make sense? All right? So God's not going to condemn you for doing every earthly thing to be earthly-minded. Why are you so carnally-minded, earthly-minded? There's many verses that talk about the same picture. It's not that you, do, you can't do earthly things or live on this earth, but that we, that's not our focus. That's not who we are. And it says in the book of James, if you look here, because in, in James 1 and in 1 Peter 1, what he's getting at is a strengthening of you. Do you realize that? That the testing and the fire, you know, it doesn't matter because what happens is we micromanage God's fire and we micromanage the situation because it seems like this situation is about someone else or something else. And what we don't realize is that actually God is using everything. Other people's situation that you've been sucked into like a tornado and yet 
God's got you there on purpose because now you are forced to rely on him. And so that's where he says, I'm using it like a fire to purify you so that you now get stronger. Why do we need stronger faith? I mean, it's really simple. Really simple. Why do I need greater math than one plus one? Don't ask me for greater today, though. Don't put me on the spot. But why does a human being, like someone who's good at math, need more than one plus one? Now, the fundamentals are essential. You cannot go on in math without understanding the fundamentals. So God does not condemn his baby Christians. He's not looking at his baby Christians and saying, will you grow up? If you're a baby, then be a good baby. <laughs> Just be a baby. Let the Lord love you right now. Ugu, gugu gaga. That's right. Lost with the Lord. It's just, oh, I'm, uh, Lord, I need my diaper change. It's time. I want my milk. Ah, I need you, God. And he comes to you, and you're like, and he comes instantly. Then all of a sudden, you're four, and he's like, wait a minute. And you're like, wait a minute. When I ask for milk, I get milk now. I told you my diaper needs to be changed. He said, uh, you should be already out of diapers by now. Step by step, incrementally, in the right time and in the right, right way, right? We don't define that. Nature, the Lord has created nature. It defines our age for us. We know by age four, the diapers should start weaning away, right? I remember all those days. Amen. God's plan and his purpose in us is a process, and the reason we need greater faith, I asked a question, I'm trying to answer it to myself, is because I don't need a lot of faith as a baby Christian because God's doing everything for me, but he's trying to grow me, which means I'm going to need, as more responsibilities come in my life, right, as they become teenagers and then they become adults, if I've done my job as a parent, I've put the skills and the abilities in them to be able to handle the situation in their life. Amen. Hopefully that if they are now an adult and they're still asking for me to come bottle feed them, there's something wrong in their brain and we love them because they're special. Otherwise, it's time for you to go feed yourself. And that's not unloving. That's because that's the place where you're at. We must understand that we are being perfected. It's part of the process. And if you fight that, you're literally fighting nature. Just as human and animal, as we talked about earlier, have a, a DNA and a design, your Christian person that he you were rebirthed. You were reborn. There was an actual person that came. You just don't see it because you're like, well, this body still looks the same. But your DNA has been recreated, reborn. And from a, just like a baby, it's going to start to develop and to grow. And it's growing towards a purpose. It does not mean that salvation is irrelevant and that that's not what happened there and that heaven's not ahead of you. We're not talking about any of those things because we're mature Christians, right? 
That's baby Christian talk, and that's not bad. But then there's a point where he says, where literally the Bible says, you should be craving meat by now. You're still asking for milk, but it's time for meat. Amen. I don't hear a lot of amens. <laughs> I'm going to assume it's just, you know, you guys just said it quietly. But he's testing and purifying us, growing our faith, because we're going to need more faith. Everybody say, because we're going to need it. Now, Elijah, I put him on the spot. I hate when pastors put their kids on the spot, but I'm sorry. These are my examples. But, you know, he's curious right now because it's going to be 17 Tuesday. He's curious right now, you know, how necessary college is. I don't know his story. You know, he might be someone who works with his hands, but we don't know that yet because he's only going to be 17. Maybe at 25, now he's fully realized that I'm a, I'm a guy who works with my hands. College is not my route. But until that day where we know that we know, you got to keep going in that direction. So his argument is, well, what do I need this for? Well, I'm like, well, you don't know what you're going to need yet. How does that make sense? Because you haven't gotten to the place where you're going to build upon it yet. If you get there and you realize, well, I don't need this, then so be it. It wasn't a waste of time because you've grown, you've been strengthened, there's things and you've learned to pay attention, you've learned to take notes, and you've learned some skills that will go on for life. Amen. Right? So God is building us because there's coming a time where we're going to need great faith to believe. Jesus warned us that there would be a time that would come in the end where it would be hard to find faith. And in fact, the time we're heading into is what's called the great apostasy. And it's a time where the Bible says that even those who you would have never thought would not believe, they fall away. They start falling away. They start not believing. What kind of situation are we going to see in the earth that, we, that would take a mature believer and have them just stop believing? That means that I'm going to listen to God now in sixth grade because I believe that high school is harder than sixth grade and college is harder than that. I'm listening to him now. Okay, yes, Lord, I believe you. I hear you. It's going to get harder, so I'm going to just listen, and I'm going to get the tools I need so that I can withstand it. I'm doing fine here right now with what I've got, but I'm not going to stay here, so you're going to grow my faith to get here. Well, how's he do it? Well, he does it through the trials and the testings. I go through a hard situation so that I realize, or I have to deal with somebody that's hard to deal with, right? So that I realize I'm impatient. I didn't know I was impatient. I always thought I was a patient person, but now having to deal with this person in my life, right? Now I'm realizing, man, I'm really impatient. And God says to me, I dealt with it for a while, and I let you be impatient because you are a baby, but now I'm not going to tolerate it any longer. Now as a child, just like any child, we stomp our feet and we say, no, you can do all that you want, but the parent what parent, what good parent's going to budge when their child stomps his foot and says no? I mean, weak parents, <laughs> weak parents let their kids walk all over them. Not good parents, certainly not our father in heaven. You stomp your feet, he says, fine, stomp your feet. I'm not going to stop what I just said, though. It's time to move on. It's time for you to deal with that impatience. You don't deal with it. You know what he does? He allows another situation. He'll just allow as many people and situations around your life to get you so incredibly irritated and impatient 
so that it boils out of you so that you have a nervous breakdown. You're like, whoa, 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 this is God and his plan for your life? Yes, because if that's what it takes for you to finally realize, fine, I give up. I'll be patient. You win. You're going to say it like a jerk. I said it like that on purpose because that's how you do it at first. And then, you st- then by the end, you're on your knees and you're weeping and you're like, Lord, oh, thank you for the patience you put in my heart. I need more of it. Right? Come on. We're all laughing because we've all been there. We've all been there. The Lord's doing some amazing things in us, isn't he? You know what it says in, in James? I've been trying to get there. I have a little story I want to read too. But in James 2... See, this is it. This is what happens. See, finally, he's perfecting, he's growing us, but it's not about us. So he says in James chapter 2, verse 14, he says, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Or you may know it as, what good is your faith without works, right? We know that, that theology. Right? This is a teaching in Christianity, faith and works, right? And usually they're like, They hammer each other. There's faith on one side and works on the other. And James 2 says you need both of them because works proves faith, and faith becomes evident because of your works. So he says, can that kind of faith save anyone? James 2 literally says that faith that you say you have but doesn't have actions doesn't save you. It literally says, can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing, what good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is, everybody read that out loud, it is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue some people have faith. Man, this, this is amazing. I feel like we, we talk about this a lot, but sometimes when we have arguments going around in Christianity, the simple answer is, do you read your Bible? Because it literally, people literally say these types of things. Well, you're just a faith guy. You know, I'm more of like a Bible guy. You're a faith guy. Oh, okay. Uh, James chapter 2, verse 18. Some people may argue, some people have faith. Others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? And I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith for you believe that there is one God good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in Terror. I'm going to read that verse again, because that's one of those verses in the Bible that should just like, we should read this probably once a week at the very least. You say you have faith, for you believe. You say you have faith because you say you believe. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish! Exclamation point. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless. Don't you remember our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith 
complete. And so it happened, just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So the Bible says here in James chapter 2, and this is why I believe that the Lord is, you know, is pushing us harder maybe in this season than ever before, because the only way really the Bible says to see that you have faith is to get you into a trial. And the Bible then in James, James chapter 2 says the way that you see that the faith is real the way that it's actually in you is by the action out of you. So we can really sandwich these two things together and put this, put this picture together here. A situation arises. Let's just use the same situation I already created. Something irritates me. A person or a situation is irritating me. It's causing an impatience. And the Bible, see, if I hang there and I don't give it up, when the Lord starts to say it's time, what I am proving is that I re really don't believe God. When, I when now I realize I'm impatient and God wants me to get rid of this and I don't, what I'm saying without saying is that I don't believe God. That might seem like a harsh truth, but that's what I'm saying. But when I say to God, yes, I believe you, and then I act in patience in I-N, not impatient, in patience instead of impatience. When I act in patience, what I'm doing is the faith that I say I confess, the faith that I say I love, the Jesus I say I love, right, because he's the epitome of faith. I'm saying I love him and I believe him and I believe his word and this is how he would act and, I and so I'm going to work my faith out, not because I could ever gain his trust or earn his love in any greater way. I'm never going to earn more love. I'm not going to prove myself. I'm just going to live out what I say in my heart or out of my mouth that I believe. And I'm going to show it to you, again, not to prove something to you, but because I have to. Because if it's really in me, then it has to come out of me. Amen. Does that make sense today? Anybody? God's got a plan and a purpose for us, and his plan and purpose is to use us. I have to say it this way. His plan and purpose for you is, is actually so simple. It's really just to restore who you are, which was to put his breath back in you, and then you live with him. I mean, that's all Adam and Eve. They literally had no job. But they weren't lazy. They just were with God. And But in this earth, it seems like, man, we're working hard. And he's like, no, I'm not asking you to work. I'm not asking. This is why it becomes fine lines, and you have to define it by the word and not by human thinking. I'm not asking you to work and do. What I'm asking you is just to be me, just to be who I made you to be. And out of who you are, just like Jesus, I, I've said it before, didn't try to be Jesus. He was just Jesus, and he couldn't help being Jesus. So the Jesus in him came out of him, which is love and was miracles. And it was the things that he did were just proof of who he was. Does that make sense? So many times we're fighting God, and the world's so confused because we're like, I like your Jesus, right? But I don't like your Christians. 
And it's just because we're not letting God put us, we fight the fire, and we fight the process, and we fight everybody along the way, not realizing that that's the exact situation we're supposed to be in, so that we rely on him, so that our faith becomes real, and so that the world sees it. Amen. Amen. I want to tell you just a very quick story. Who's ready just for a really quick story here? Can I read something? All right, one, just a few more minutes here. I just want to read something. So, one day a father took his daughter to the ocean. Suddenly, he looked out and he noticed his daughter was drowning. He ran with every last drop of energy and he risked his own life to rescue her. His own life meant nothing to him because his daughter was so precious to him. He got her back to shore and he said, She's alive. And she was so grateful that she was saved from death. And it would be a moment in her life that she would never forget. In fact, that moment was pivotal for her. She realized the seriousness, the weight of life and death. She realizes I was being tossed around in the waves and I would have died, but my father saved me. Her father, at the core, rescued her simply because he loved her. But as some time goes by, his daughter began spending more and more time at the very beach he saved her from. Instead of being afraid of the water, she makes a point to live her life. One day the father was looking for his daughter and he began to ask around. He was told she set up a tent and she's camping on the beach. The father goes there and he finds her and he says, what are you doing here? She says, I want to live here. I love to sit here each day and just watch the waves. With every new wave, I know the meaning of life, and I feel the peace I felt when you rescued me. This is where it happened. I'm so grateful, so thankful. I don't want to leave this place. The father says, I love you, and that's why I saved you. But when I saved you from drowning, you didn't owe me anything. I didn't do it for any other purpose than I love you. But when I saved you from death, it's because I wanted you to live. I never expected you to become a beach bum. There's a big world out there, and there's only one you. No one else can accomplish what you can accomplish, and no one else will influence those that you can influence. In fact, if you love this beach so much, and you love being where I saved you, you could help others. You could be a lifeguard and help re rescue others from drowning. The father can't be accused of tricking the child or having hidden motives. The father wants what's best for his daughter, and he sees endless potential in her. Standing in the way of the life he sees for his daughter was a moment near death. But after being saved from drowning, the father wants his daughter to grow and mature and be all that she can be, not because she is paying her father back, but she will always remember, and it should always fuel her to live life wisely and respectfully. The daughter realizes that she was saved, and she can let her life have a purpose. So she starts training hard to become a lifeguard, like her father suggested. She starts running the beaches every morning, and she can't run very fast or very far, but she's committed. She starts with short swims, close to the shore at first, but she begins to swim. Immediately that week, she notices how her body 
is in pain, and it doesn't seem to want to do what she's asking of it. She starts to think how much better it was just sitting and watching the waves than actually swimming through them. Every muscle in her body starts to ache. After the first week, she's considering quitting, but she remembers the helplessness while she was drowning. She remembers how she felt as the waves tossed her about and remembers the moment she was rescued. She remembers how instantly she felt safe and secure when her father disregarded his own life and carried her to shore. This encourages her to push on. In fact, every time she gets discouraged, she thinks about how she was saved and thinks, I can help others feel the peace that I felt when I was rescued. So she pushes on and creates a routine. She starts to feel comfortable, and the muscles begin to adjust, and she starts to run and starts feeling easier, and the swims become natural. Finally, she enters the formal training to be a Coast Guard rescue swimmer, and she was in shock. The swims got longer. They went out in all weather conditions, and the workouts became grueling. Now she wished she was back in her own routine. She could no longer imagine satisfaction from only sitting on the beach anymore. She came to enjoy her workouts and long swims on her own time in her own schedule. But she was frustrated with her new situation. In fact, she began to question the training. She began to question the methods of the trainers. It seemed meaningless. It seemed like the instructors made it harder than it needed to be and made her do exercises that she would never need in a life-saving situation. She started to resent them and thought they were mean and harsh. She thought, I'm grateful to be alive and I want to help people, but maybe there is an easier way. One morning, she took a stroll along the ocean. No running, no swimming, just a walk. Something she rarely did near the water anymore. Suddenly, she heard the sounds of, a fr of frantic parents screaming ahead. They, too, were out for a walk with their little boy. He got too close to the water and the waves sucked him instantly into the deep. Without anyone asking or telling her what to do, she dove into the water and began to swim for the boy, being pulled out further by the waves. She reached the boy and swam him back to shore and gave him to his parents. They were so grateful they couldn't even express themselves with words. Only then she realized what was happening as if she had been on autopilot. She realized that her training, which was so incredibly hard, made her stronger than she knew. Her instincts had become sharper than she knew she had. She started to recount the moments and couldn't believe how fast she made it to the boy and back to shore. She was selfless in the situation, and the high from it made her float home instead of walking. And right then, she knew, I have a purpose in this world. She thought, I can do this. No, I must rescue others. I'm so grateful to be alive, but the joy in rescuing someone else today gives me purpose. She realized that the training would get even harder, but the reward was worth it. She realized saying she wanted to be a Coast Guard rescue swimmer was not enough. Believing she had what it takes was not enough. Only when she was put into a situation that required everything from her did she realize why her training seemed so hard. What seemed like was over the top and beyond what was necessary suddenly made sense. She was stronger than she knew, but only came to know it by going through a situation that pulled out of her all that was put in. God has a plan and a purpose for you today. He's got a plan and a purpose. He is building you. He's taking you from where you are today to somewhere you don't know. Don't even 
The Bible says also in James, don't even plan tomorrow. That doesn't even make sense to us. Just trust God. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose. He's with us. And it is for this world. You've been saved. We're so grateful. We're so thankful we come here today just to worship him and praise him and thank him for that. But our purpose, our purpose is others. That is what this earth is about, is others. Amen. I love you, and I just pray, Lord Jesus, we just thank you for your word today. And I pray, God, that you'd make it sink down deep into our hearts. I pray, Lord, that it would come to life in us. Lord, be life in us. Lord, sprout up out of us with life, God. Give us, Lord Jesus, the life that we can only find in you today, Lord Jesus. We give you, Lord, everything. We just glorify you, Lord. We honor you, Lord. We just empty ourselves to you, Lord. Right now, Lord, we repent of self and self-thinking and me, me, me. Lord Jesus, we just give you it all. We come before you, Lord Jesus. Give us a vision, Lord, of how to live in every moment of every day. Lord, give us the vision, the clear understanding of how to handle, Lord, how to be like you, simply as that is. Lord, help us to do that, to be like you in every single situation. And I thank you, Lord, that we will. We will see you on the other side, and we will walk in that same glory you have with you because we were obedient to you and your plan. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.